Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another edition of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is Disc Golf's current, reigning, defending, king of Las Vegas, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how are you, man? <laughs> oh, that's a good intro. Wow. I'm doing well. I'm doing better now that I realized I was the king. That's cool. Yeah, well, I think anywhere else, you know, it's just like champion or guy who won. But in Las Vegas, it's king, man. Yeah, they do it big. You're right. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm just getting excited for the season. And I was just looking at it. And I know Vegas is coming up in the end of February. And I thought to myself, can't wait for that one. So um, huge weekend here, Nate. Let's talk a little football real quick. Uh, you went 50% today, uh, or this weekend, excuse me. The Buffalo Bills did win. The Seattle Seahawks did not. Um, so 50% for you, not too bad. No, I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not uh, like, like we discussed, I'm not heartbroken over any of it, but it was too bad, you know, from my fellow Washingtonians, Seahawks weren't able to pull it out, but it's all right. And I, I definitely, I think it was the first Bills playoff win in like, since the nineties. Is that, am I, yeah, am yeah. I right? 20, 25 years for the Buffalo Bills. So that's so. a long time coming. I, they're definitely, they're my pick now. I want, I want a Super Bowl for Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would also like that. It's, uh, it would be very exciting. So, um, you know, I, I was watching those games and obviously I know you've got family here in Buffalo and, uh, 50%, not too bad. Now, before we get started, let's handle a little bit of business and let's tell everybody again about our friends over at Fisher Disc Golf, home of the disc stacks. Fisher's been a wonderful supporter for us uh, here at Running It with Nate Sexton. And uh, we already spoke a lot about the things that they're doing. Guys, check out FisherDiscGolf.com. They offer 18 different brands of discs. Um, they still have about 20 of those holiday boxes remaining. Uh, now, these boxes, they include a limited run of 100 less white Emac Truth and Junior Sheriffs, and one of those boxes contains a dynamic recruit pro light basket. Um, so check those out at fisherdiscgolf.com. And, uh, as always, free shipping. So whatever you're looking at, you don't have to worry about it costing you a little bit more. Uh, they're going to send it out to you with free shipping. Uh, Levi and Adam over there are just doing a, a fantastic job. And in fact, for being a listener of running it with Nate Sexton, you guys are going to get something a little additional. Nate, what do they have to do to save 10%? You got to use our code RUNIT10, and it's pretty easy. You just get that 10% off. All you really need to know, they've got all the major brands, and the shipping's free, and they're a friend of the show. Pretty easy decision. Go get yourself a new disc. Yeah. Who doesn't love getting a new disc? I love it. Nate, when I first started watching disc golf, um, I dug kind of through the archives and got in the rabbit hole on YouTube, and one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was it didn't hurt to be named Nate. And I think today's show pretty much shows that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, I used that hashtag saying it was the greatest disc golf name of all time. And there's a lot of guys that are uh, helping to make that true. But I think the, the the flag bearer for the name Nate is the guy we've got on the show tonight. It is your three-time world champion, one-time United States champion, surefire Hall of Famer, Mr. Nate Doss. Oh, well... First of all, I got to thank you guys for having me, but I also got to say the Bills, that's a good story, but the Browns, that's another big story, and I got two people in the other room that are cheering those brownies on. Val and Sharon are over there watching the Browns play, and they are kicking butt right now, so <laughs> nice. thanks for having me, guys, and uh, you know, I don't know about all the Hall of Fame stuff, but it's certainly been a good run so far, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to share the name Nate 
with the great Nate Sexton as well. You're too modest, man, because I do know about the Hall of Fame stuff. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't have to wait much longer, I don't think. But yeah, man, it's we go back a long ways. I'm excited to have you on the show. I mean, I knew that we'd get you on eventually. You know, we're only in episode seven, but definitely one that I've been looking forward to doing because it's like, not only has COVID stopped us from seeing friends as much as we'd like, but then with the brewery and you getting that started, it's like double the length of COVID since I've really had a chance to kind of rub elbows and, and uh, kind of catch up with you. So I'm, I'm excited to do that here, right here on the, on the show. Yeah, it was, it was great to hear your voice when we got on right before the show. And, you know, of course we, I do the best I can to keep up with everybody through social media and, you know, and, and then of course I, you you live in up in Washington, you know. I got a few friends up there, and and uh, they're always filling me in on what's going on too. So, yeah, it's good to be hanging out with you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. How's everything been? I mean, I gotta I gotta figure. You know, brewing is maybe an okay business in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic. You probably had some shutdowns with your patio and all that, but overall, you're kind of back at it now, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah, I mean it, it. It it's such an interesting experience that we've that we've gone over the last well, let's call it two years. It was it was January twenty fifth of two thousand nineteen that I brewed the very first batch at Bevel Craft Brewing. So almost two years here in about fifteen days, and you know the first year was just filled with a lot of the unknowns and just getting the doors open and having the grand opening and then figuring out how to to operate the day to day. And uh, by the time we hit January of, the, of 2020, we had really felt like we had figured that out. We were ready for the next step. And then, of course, COVID hit. So I think, you know, for me, there's no way I could have ever anticipated that this was going to be something that I was, A, going to have to make decisions about, but also, B, um, how fortunate we felt that our business opened when it did. I mean, and I feel so bad for for the businesses that opened either right before covid or or had to delay their openings but you know we've done okay um currently here in the state of Oregon and I know Oregon and Washington are pretty close uh our patio is open 100% but our indoor seating is 100% shut down so at this point we're very thankful to the weather gods as we always talk about in disc golf for the good weather we've had so far in the in the late fall, early winter, and we've had a lot of people sitting outside. So it's been a great run, been a lot of fun, and uh, very thankful for it. Any snow yet, or not too bad up there? You know we've we've had a we've had a good kind of run of days that there was a little bit of snow, but then it warmed up and it melted right away. So here in town, it's dry streets, but the mountains have been getting pretty much crushed it's been a weird kind of wet warm season so far but um you know i think we even have like a day of 50 coming up here in a few days here in bend which is so not normal for january yeah that's warm for sure and just a little geography lesson for those of you who maybe aren't from the oregon or the northwest i'm i was born and raised in corvallis which is about three hours from where nate now lives with uh with his brewery and his wife val um, in Bend and it's kind of like the high desert area of Oregon. So Bend is like, I don't even know, maybe 4,000 feet or something, somewhere yeah, in there, 3,600, 3,600 feet. So it's sort of a, a snowy spot compared to where I'm from. But I, I used to go to Bend all the time as like a, you know, high school, middle school kid for like snowboarding and cross country skiing and things like that in the winter. So it's kind of like a, a winter sort of resort town feel a little bit, though it is getting a lot bigger now. Yeah, definitely. I, we just drove by, 
Um, speaking of cross country skiing, me and Val were just cross country skiing just a few days ago in that same area that me, you and Bree and, and yeah. Colin and, and we all skied and, uh, coming back into town, there's a big, you know, Bend city limit sign and 91,000 people now live here in the city of Bend. When I first moved here, it was like 78,000. That was eight years ago. So it's grown leaps and bounds and we're a tourist town for sure. Um, in the summer, just as much as the winter, but yeah, it's, it's a fun place. A lot of outdoor activities going on, but, um, yeah, it's a lot different. We, we call it the wet side and the dry side. It's a lot different from Corvallis here, here in central Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. You got all those Californians moving up into Oregon now. That's the problem. (laughs) You know, it's, it's so funny because I'm one of those people. I mean, I moved here eight years ago and, uh, you know, I moved up here basically because I couldn't afford to live in California. I was born and raised in Santa Cruz. Um, obviously love, love Santa Cruz. My, you know, my, my parents, my parents have since moved, uh, they moved here two years ago. Um, my mom couldn't stand to live too far away from me, but, uh, you know, nowadays and COVID just accentuated this, so many people being able to work remotely or forced to be able to work or to work remotely. Um, they said, I'm out of the Bay Area. I'm moving to, to Bend. I love that place. I want to ride my bike every afternoon and go skiing in the winter. So, yeah, it's grown really fast. Plus, I mean, it doesn't hurt that you could probably sell your two-bedroom and get a five-bedroom, you know, like if if you're coming from the Bay Area, you know, like the, yeah. the real estate is out of control. Yeah, and I'll say this again, you know, talking real world here. I mean, the real estate here in Central Oregon is out of control. I mean, you cannot it's going buy big a house. Too. Yeah, you can't even buy a house without walking in with a check, basically, and saying, "I want to buy this house," and it better be, you know, ten grand over the asking price. So it's it's yeah. going kind of gangbusters. Yeah, it definitely it's definitely a, a growing area for sure. So beer, Nate. Was this a passion of yours? Was this something that happened by accident? Everybody's asking. I got a million questions. How did you become this uh, this master brewer that you are now? Well, I mean, it, it's a it's a long story, and and uh, you know, I don't want to run out of tape here or anything like that. But <laughs> you know, very simply put, I you know, being the touring disc golfer that that I that I was, and and, and got all those years just to spend traveling around the country. Um, and I just had a lot of opportunities to to go to a lot of restaurants, bars, breweries, things like that. And it for a while, it just seemed like any time we came into a town and said, hey, where's the happening spot? Where should we have dinner? They'd always go, oh, go to such and such brewery. And, um, you know, so we were always hanging out in them. And to go even just a, a hair before that, in 2000, let's call it 2008, basically, I had not even, you know, I was only... You know, just a few years over 21, I, I turned 21 in 2006, and I I didn't even drink craft beer. And my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, didn't, didn't know that at the time. Val and I weren't even dating. I was in Ohio. We're hanging out. Leroy um, and me are waiting at this restaurant at the bar. We're ordering a beer, and I'm going, hey, do you guys have Corona? That was the only beer I really knew to order. And he looks over at me, goes, Corona? And he goes, and I, you know, hey, this is an uncensored show, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, if not, you can bleep this out. But he looks over at me, and Leroy never cursed. And he goes, 
man, do you even know what a fucking hop is? <laughs> and I go, what is a hop? What are you talking about? And he goes, he goes, Corona, forget it. And he ordered me a beer and it was a dogfish head 90 minute IPA, which is a double IPA. It's 9% in alcohol and hopped continuously for 90 minutes. And uh, it's out of Delaware. And it was like, whoa, this is great. The flavor was like, boom, it just blew up in my mouth. And and uh, and it was amazing. And, and I think ever since then, uh, I, I just enjoyed beer. But it wasn't until we visited all those breweries and uh, Leroy, again, Val's, Val's father who, who passed away, he was so into beer, he made his own and uh, he kind of, he passed that along to me. And my mind is an engineering mind. I loved seeing the beer move around the the breweries that we would go visit and all the pumps and all the pipes and all the tanks. And um, one day I was looking for a hobby, I guess, because disc golf, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, Nate, you can attest to this. When you become a professional disc golfer and you say you put everything upside and you say, I'm going to do disc golf. Well, you basically just took your hobby and made it your job. Yeah. And it, it becomes not quite as fun um, on the bad days. Of course, it's really fun on the good days, but it, it, it you know you kind of want to put it away on the bad ones. And so I needed a hobby, and, and homebrewing became that hobby in 2012. I I homebrewed my very first batch of beer in the driveway of the Jenkins family in Ohio, and it actually was the weekend after the 2012 Worlds and in Charlotte when uh, when Paul Macbeth won his first world championship. So it was kind of the ending of one era and the beginning of another for both of us. And uh, yeah, and and uh, and, you know, I, I remember that first batch of beer. I said, man, I'd love to open a brewery. This would be really, really cool. And 2012 is when that was. And, and we opened the brewery in 2019. So a lot of things in between, so many opportunities doing collaboration beers with wonderful brewers. It all started out in Vermont. Jeff Spring and Matty O from Fiddlehead Brewing Company said, hey, let's brew a beer for the tournament. And so I got a chance to uh, to work at Fiddlehead Brewing and, and brew a beer with those guys. So, so many great opportunities with so many wonderful breweries. And and now now I own and operate a brewery. It's It's kind of surreal at this point. Dream come true. Yeah, I guess I guess so. I mean, if you were to ask me ten years ago if I was going to be <laughs> sure do, doing what I'm doing, I would have said you're nuts. But um, yeah, I, I don't think at this point, really, for me, I think the biggest thing that I take away is is how much Val and I get to work together. I mean, we we own and operate Bevel together, along with Justin Selmer, who is a disc golfer um, originally from Illinois and lived in Arizona and most recently before Ben lived in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, you know, we get to work together every day and come up with plans. And, you know, I think it, it's just, it was, it was, um, it was a good transition from the touring lifestyle that we had before. How, how many beers have you guys done now? And I guess, I hope you know that hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot, but. Well, Tuesday of last week, I brewed my 118th batch. So that was, wow. uh, you know, Every batch of beer we do, it, 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 the counter goes up. So 118 and then Tuesday, so not tomorrow, but the next day I'll brew 119 and 120. We're doing a double batch on Tuesday. Um, but individually, I think we've done 44 individual beers. Wow. Um, yeah, so anywhere from different IPAs to different stouts or 
you know, different types of beers that we've done. And it's my life. I mean, it is my life on a day-to-day basis, just planning, ordering ingredients, planning the beers, you know, moving the beer from this tank to that tank or kegging beer or brewing beer or, um, you know, paying bills, paying, you know, doing, doing this, that, or the other. Um, you know, the one thing that I don't have to do is actually bartend at Justin. And we have a, we have, uh, six employees now, um, along with Val, they, they take care of the tap room. So it's, you know, I'm uh, lucky in that sense, but it's, it's a full-time job. That's for sure. Yeah. And by so all accounts going pretty well, right? Cause I just saw you guys won some awards. Yeah. It, you know, again, I, I, well, I personally wouldn't consider myself modest, but, um, we, <laughs> I personally was voted the best brewer in central Oregon, um, through our local, uh, magazine called the source magazine. And it, it was a vote, you know, it was a kind of a popular vote type of thing. And so that was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, and we also won a, a silver medal in a worldwide beer competition called the Best of Craft Beer Awards um, that we won. Be- we won that back in February. So it's, you know, to me, it's like how it was in disc golf. You know, the, the, the tournament, the, the wins are certainly something that you put into the happy column at the end of the day. But, you know, you just keep your head down and you keep trying to get better and you keep doing your job. You keep working at it. And. I take that same mentality that I had as a professional disc golfer and, and put that at, over at Bevel. So, of course, I'm so thankful for the awards, but I just want to keep getting better and, and keep doing the best I can. That's awesome. So what you're saying is, is anybody who gets a beer from Bevel Brewing Company, that beer has been made by world champion disc golfer Nate Doss. You're not just sitting up in a high office watching people doing it. You're switching this beer around and uh, uh and you're you're actually making it yourself. Yeah, literally the 118 batches uh I have had my hands on every single batch at every single portion. I mean, we're talking fully from grain to glass. And um we've back in in November we transitioned one of our bartenders to start helping me in the brewery and um and and he he had experience in a brewery down in california he was our very first employee that we hired as a bartender so he's been starting to help me out and i think eventually in a couple of years we'll we'll hopefully have transitioned to to him doing a hundred percent of of the the brewing operations but for now, it is a hundred percent really a part of me. Uh, every single beer that that we make. And how soon? What? Where are you guys at in terms of like canning? I know you guys ship it around Oregon only, right? At the yeah. moment, yeah. And is it plan? Are you planning to eventually go bigger, or or what's it? What's ideal for you? You know, for five years we wrote a business plan, uh, Val and I, and and then we brought Justin in, and and we all kind of had different visions of where we saw the brewery going. You know, for me, I'm very passionate about keeping the beer as close to the tap room as possible. I mean, it's so easy to say, oh, well, um, or I guess to judge a brewery on its success by, well, how far does the beer get away from the brewery? Is it canned? Is it bottled? Is it at this bar? Is it at that bar? But I really take kind of pride in the fact that it it's, it's hard to get. You got to come visit us here in Bend. You got to come see the tap room and, uh, and hang out. We've been doing really, really well. We've, we, we've just, we've grown, um, as steadily as we can, 
But I think for me, the the real vision is to keep the beer as close to to here as possible. The craft beer world is very, very competitive, and, and there's a lot of big breweries with a lot of money. And so for us, we just want to kind of keep it close and 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 do the best we can. The shipping around Oregon thing is that the state of Oregon allows breweries that are in the state to sh- ship directly to the consumer. And so we've we've shipped about maybe 20 boxes and each box has three crawlers in it um, to people here around the state of Oregon. And that's been pretty fun. And, and we've canned, um, I think seven different beers. Um, and, and that's been fun as well. But at the end of the day, we're a small brewery. We don't have a lot of space and we got to just uh, kind of keep it as simple as possible. I mean, that's fine. That's, that's cool. I think I, I, I like that idea of it too, just that it's kind of like a, uh, something to look forward to if somebody's coming through the area or it's yeah. something that locals can kind of hold up as a source of pride. Like, yeah, this is something we like. And, you know, we have Nate here, especially disc golfers, because it's kind of like this weird mix of like, you know, you're almost like a celebrity brewer in the eyes of like a, of disc golfers, you know, where you're going to be like having recognition for what you've achieved on the course along with what you're achieving with the business. So I think it's a cool way to go. Well, yeah, thanks. And, and you know, it's always cool. You know, for me, unfortunately, I I start work most days before the six o'clock hour on brew days. I start at four o'clock in the morning and I finish around noon or or one. Um, So I'm not, you know, I don't always get to see everybody, but most of our bartenders are either avid disc golfers or now love disc golf. And we've all kind of ingrained that in, in all of our employees. But yeah, it's just cool when disc golfers get to come visit We're we're selling bevel branded discs right there on the wall and um it 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 is cool man i think we just want people to come visit i mean i want to take it back i want to i want to talk a little bit more about uh you know some of my early memories of meeting you and being around you and it was kind of like as i started you know getting kind of good and becoming a pro i i just remember like my very first usdgc um, definitely Japan. When I went to Japan, I just remember being there with like you and Dave Feldberg and Avery Jenkins and Val and, uh, and you guys kind of like showing me the ropes of different, uh, you know, the way the tour worked and, you know, fond memories for sure. Just thinking back to, uh, all those times. And even as early as, uh, 2005, I remember you were at the amateur world's uh, and we've talked about this amateur worlds quite a lot because we've had Yuli on the show. We've had Macbeth on this show um, and, you know, talked about all the people that played there. And I know you got a funny story that I'm hoping you'll tell about remembering those two Pauls uh, when you had been flown to Flagstaff because you were right off the heels, like as a 20 year old, right off the heels of winning your very first world title 2005 in Pennsylvania. And then you Discraft is bringing you out there to the amateur worlds to like sign autographs, right? Yeah, so I won the Worlds in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You're right. I was 20 years old. I mean, me and you are so close in age. You you would know um, as much as I would. And basically, you know, Arizona is kind of a discraft, discraft land, for lack of a better term, with Dan Ginley down there in Phoenix. And Dan was the run who person who was running the tournament in, in Flagstaff. And we had played the Pro Worlds in Flagstaff two years before in 2003. So I was familiar with Flagstaff and Keith Murray from Discraft called me up and he said, Hey, you know, we want you to, we want you to come out to Flagstaff and we want you to do a signing during the fly mart. 
And I said, great. Hey, you know, I'm 20 years old now. I'm a world champion and I'm getting flown to places. I mean, two weeks ago, nobody cared what I did, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, and so they flew me out there and again, 20 years old, I had not really traveled alone that much. And they flew me to the Phoenix airport and I had to take a bus from the Phoenix airport up to Flagstaff. And then I was waiting in the bus depot. They picked me up and, um, and then, yeah, they said, we're, we're going to do the signing and they had a bunch of minis. So, and it's a really cool story. If, if any of you uh, out there that are listening have ever watched the, well, it was a DVD, but I think it's on YouTube now of the worlds in 2005. When I tap in the last putt, Terry Miller of all people, the disc golf guy comes running over to me, hands me a box and I open that box and there was 13 magnets with full color Nate Doss 2005 world champion uh, on it. And they had shipped them to Terry three days earlier and told Terry, hey, if Nate wins, give them to him. If they don't, destroy them. <laughs> and uh, there was only 13 of those. I numbered all of them. I signed them and I gave them out basically within 24 hours to all the people that were really close around me. There's only a couple of those out there uh, left. Val was one of those people that got one because because she was, uh, again, me and Val didn't even start dating until late 2009, and but we were just friends and she was there and I gave her one. So anyways, they made replicas of these on mini ultra stars. So it's a little bit of a bigger mini and they made like 500 of them. So I was sitting in a room and I was signing them and people were coming through and, hey, Nate, great job, blah, 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 blah you know, and. And then, you know, this, and I don't know what the order of it or, or anything was, but, you know, some of the juniors come in and ah, I sign ones, Paul Ulibarri. Okay, here you go. And then this other kid comes in, it's Paul Macbeth. Ah, yeah, here you go. And as the night was starting to wind down, and I, I probably only had about 50 or 100 minis left, here come Yuli and Macbeth coming back. <laughs> hey, Nate, can I get another one of the, because I was giving them out for free. You know, it was like for free, one for everybody. I'm just signing them, hanging. And these two kids, they kept coming back. They came back like three or four times. Hey, Nate, can I get another one? And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> these kids are so annoying. I mean, and at the time, of course, they weren't Paul Macbeth and Paul Ulibarri. They were just two kids that yeah. were there playing playing the juniors. And uh, and I, I always take pride in that in that story because it's not like I was that much older than them. You know, it just, you know, they were probably 15. I think I'm yeah. about four or five years older than, than those two guys. And they were just kids that wanted to meet the world champ. And, and it was something that they wanted, that they aspired to be. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, while, while Yuli Bari hasn't won his world title yet, I, I know that he's never going to stop until he, he, he does. Um, we know what Paul McBeth's done. So it's, it's a fun story. And, I don't know, Nate, you remind me, did we ever meet that weekend or? I mean, you, I got one of those minis. I don't know about meet, you know, I was just, I was like, I didn't come back twice. Let me tell you that. Okay. <laughs> I went in there. I got my mini for sure though. I was, nice. I was, I was in the line to get in there and get us get one signed and meet the world champion. Oh, I love that. But That's I cool. don't know that we had really met before that. I don't, you I were, think we you were there competing in, in amateur. Or? I was caddying for Brie and she actually won. That was when Brie won the junior oh. girls. And that's right. the whole story, which we've told on this podcast before. But 
that Macbeth's very first round that he ever played PDGA was that tournament. And he was just like the odd, odd kid out in his division. So it was, he was on Bree's card. So the first PGA round he ever played, I was there like caddying going like, Hey kids, your turn. So just kind of a funny, you know, just all the connections that, that, that you've realized later, you know, but I yeah, have I remember. to, I got to tune into that. I got to hear that story. I mean, that's a, that's an awesome story, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. It was, it was, it was cool. And just then re, kind of putting it together later and going, Oh yeah, man, that was you. That's cool. You know? And then like, you know, then we ended up touring together for so long. And right. I even remember driving uh, through Flagstaff late at night. It was my 30th birthday. And we went through two time zones. So my, so I stayed 29, two hours longer, you know, like it was like almost midnight. And then we're like right. coming up to Flagstaff and like, ah, oh, sweet. I'm still 29. And, uh, you know, we we're driving, it was me and Paul like ripping through Flagstaff. Like, Hey, remember when, you know, like way right. back, it was, it was cool. Like 10 years later, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, Nate, when you won that first world, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you were working a regular job during that time as well. Correct. Yeah, and in fact, I was I was I was in college, so twenty years old. I'm I'm living in in Santa Cruz, living at my parents' house, and uh, I was a college student. And I just recently, um, I was actually playing around at De La, and um, one of the people in the group was saying, "Nate, what are you? You're in school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going there for computer science." And this guy who was just kind of hanging around the parking lot goes. Oh, I own a company and I need a computer. We need a computer person. Would would you be interested? And I said sure. And, you know, and five months later, I, <laughs> I won the world's uh, the world title, and you know, my life was never the same. But I did actually work as an IT professional um, all the way from 2005 um, until I had my official retirement party that Avery and Val threw for me in uh, in february of 2010 so i was an it professional for five years and when i retired i managed um about 75 uh mail or file servers do a lot of database servers but uh yeah i was i was deep into the uh into the server management world in the bay area and uh in 2010 um val and i had started dating avery had left oregon uh, him and Dave were were graduated finally from the University of Oregon, and Val and Avery convinced me. They said, "Hey, you know, you got to give this your all." I was about twenty five years old. They said, "You got to just give it a shot. Go see what it's like to live the day in day out tour lifestyle." Because at that time, from basically two thousand five until till two thousand ten. I was in and out on air flights. I mean, I was coming in for the weekend, flying back, going back to work. You know, I would leave work on a Thursday, fly out to a tournament or on a Wednesday, fly back on a Monday and be right back on work on Tuesday. And that was really a big decision in my life right there around 2010 to, to go full out. And, you know, my life was never really the same. You know, the tour lifestyle was a little bit more difficult than that fly in, fly out because I could always come back to Cali, hone my game, and I would always show up to tournaments just at the peak of my game. But when you're on tour, it's a different mentality. And so, you know, leaving that job in 2010 and going 100%, there was definitely a big learning curve. And, um, you know, um, but I'm very thankful that I did it and, and I, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Probably a, probably a little easier to do considering you were like literally the number one player in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, in those days, I, you know, in those days, being the number one player in the world, it was kind of a weird thing because you got to remember, you know, in 2010, we were on kind of the the heels of Ken Climo and Barry Schultz really starting to transition out completely from the open division. And you had Dave and Avery, um, Dave Felberg, Avery Jenkins, that were sort of in that middle ground. Now, you, Avery's six years older than I am, and, and so is Dave. And so it's like they were kind of the, the top dogs, along with a few other players for sure. And then there was me, and then there was just a slew of players that were that four or five years younger. And so being the number one player in the world was something that never really stuck for me because we were all battling. It was every weekend there could be this person or that person winning. There was so much parity in the game right there around 2010 um, before the young guys really started to take to take over. And so I never really felt like the number one player in the world. I always felt like I had that little chip on my shoulder. I always felt like I really wanted to to continue to get better. And I always had Dave Felberg and Avery Jenkins that were just the six years older than I, they had more experience. They were just, they were the guys and they yes. were always there ahead of me. And so I always felt like I had to, to try to surpass them. Yeah. You yeah, probably that's... had that same feeling. Yeah. I think a, a few years later, cause I mean, even though I'm, I am your senior by 13 days, uh, we should probably get that out in the open. You know, we're very close to the same age, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely wasn't at that elite level yet when I was 20, I was just right. kind of, you, you were quicker there, you know, maybe, I don't know, you probably started a little younger than I did as well. But, um, but yeah, then a little bit later, a couple years after you, I suppose, then I kind of was rising up to, to be in that, in that kind of place where I could think about winning big tournaments and, you know, make, big grand goals and actually not being insane for for thinking that i had a shot you know to, to win something but yeah definitely dave and avery were uh big influential guys at that time and and you know knew it all had seen it all you know as far as the tour goes yeah definitely and you know i'll i'll, I'll say this i mean now what year was it that me you and dion stayed in the same that that three bed hotel room in in rock hill I would guess. Um, was that your oh, first USCG? No, it, but it was. Dion definitely came after me. I I went in 2005. Okay. I want to say that was probably 2007. Okay, 2000. That makes sense because I definitely didn't win that year. So it would have it, it probably was 07. And I remember Dave and Avery telling me, "Hey, you're going to stay with these two kids from Oregon." I mean, at that time, me and you didn't really know each other. No, not well. Yeah, and so they were like, "Yeah, you're going to stay with this Nate Sexton, and oh, they're really good guys, and you know, they're you're their same age, and and we had a great time, you know, I, I thought for sure, and that was yeah. kind of that was our first um, interaction, and for you, you were just such a consistent player, and you were so thoughtful when it came to your preparation and the way that you played around. You weren't always just you know, hundred percent pedal to the metal. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. You were the guy that would even say out loud, Hey, I might lay this one back or, Oh, I might lay this 20 or 30 footer up. And I think in those days, we probably cracked on you a little bit about that. Um, but I think 
fast forward all these years later, and I think that it's really paid off because that thoughtfulness over 10, 12, 15 years of experience is, is put you still at the top, uh, you know, right, right there with, with, with everybody. So I think that that's pretty cool to, to see that development. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I don't know, it's like people always will say, oh yeah, you play safe. And it's like, it isn't as calculated as that, as it seems maybe. Cause it, to me, it feels like, well, I can't, I can't throw it over there or like that won't work for me. You know, like right. if I think, oh, I could just hammer it through here and go over the trees and you know, my power is okay. It's not like, like going to blow your mind, but I throw it all right. But yeah, it's, it's not even, it was like more of just like, you know, just the same decisions anybody's making, just like, what's the, what's the play that's going to yield me the the best score, you know, but I embrace it, you know, having that reputation now and, and being kind of like a, a course manager or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I definitely, I'm like, I like that feeling of like going and playing this scary course that everyone said is so hard and just picking the two or three hardest holes on the course or the scariest ones to my game personally and going, yeah, par will be fine. And just yeah. take so much stress out of my life. If I'm like, my goal is par on that super scary Island hole that like, if you, if your goal is birdie, you maybe catch yourself skipping ahead and thinking about that whole four holes before you get to it. Cause you're like, man, that wind is going to be tough when I get to 17. Oh boy. Uh. You know? So I, I feel like that's paid big dividends for me just personally to keep my stress level down in those big tournament situations. Cause I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Try and birdie it. It's fine with me. Like if my competitors try, because like a lot of them will bogey it, some will birdie it, but I'm definitely going to par it. And just like let having that mentality, um, I think helps me. Yeah. I mean, that's so well said, Nate. And what I can say is that right around when I was getting ready to leave, so right there, you know, the the middle part of 2008, uh, 2018, um, you know, disc golf had worn on me um, like it does most players. But for you, you just seem to continue to have a passion and a love for the sport. And I think it's because of those reasons, because of the way that you think about your game and the way that you play. And, and so I, I, you know, honestly, man, I, I, you know, we, we don't, we haven't seen each other in quite a while now, but um, I, I just, uh, it's been a bummer not been able to, to commentate any of your rounds um, yeah. over the last few years, you know, and, and hopefully I get to, to commentate some, come a couple of these ones that, that you're playing in um, this season. I hope so. You know, you got to play good to get up on that Nate Doss commentary card. You got to be up there at the tippy top, but I'll do, you know, I'll do my best. I know it, buddy. Yeah. Then how do you like commentary? I got, we got, we can't skip that. Both of us are kind of known for that now. You know, how, how's that been doing the live thing? Oh man, it's crazy. It's, it's kind of weird. It's like, to me, the commentary is almost, it, it lives in a vacuum. And we always say things don't live in a vacuum, but for me, it does because our commentary we've done, uh, all of them from a little tiny room in our house, in the house that we rent. And, um, you know, we basically build the studio in there and it was the first show we did Val and I together, we had a sheet on the back of the behind us and that was a big hubbub, but, uh, you know, we really live in a vacuum. I mean, we put the headphones on, we, Johnny V shows us the round and tells us, Hey, we're going now. And, and we just call it. And so I don't even really get to experience the interaction on the course or hear from the players. It's always just interviews and, you know, Mo or Johnny V or Jamie or somebody filling me in on what's going on in the disc golf world. But, um, 
honestly, Nate, and I, I, I would ask you the same question, but honestly, for me, man, it's been fantastic. And really, since opening Bevel, I could not be more thankful for commentating because it has kept me in disc golf in a way that I don't think I would have been had I not done it or if I, if I, if I didn't do it. Um, because at this point I felt like I was at all those big tournaments. I felt like I was right there with those players and, uh, and I can still talk about who's the best in our sport, who's playing well. And, and I enjoy that. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I love doing it as well. And I, I'm really thankful that, that DGPT got you to do it because I think, you know, that we were all sad enough to see you, you know, obviously we're happy for you opening the brewery, but speaking for the players and your peers, I think we're all like, man, we're not going to see him like that's done. Yeah. That, he's too good. Like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to see, right. you know, cause from our perspective, it's like, man, he just won the green mountain. Like he's so good still. And it feels weird to be like, well, yeah, he's just kind of going to be gone. But yeah, I'm super, I'm super happy that you got that gig. And and the fans can still hear from you because it's blowing up right now. Like how many people are are tuning in, and they yeah. definitely are are having a richer experience for for benefiting from your expertise and all the years you put in, and and what you can bring to uh, their knowledge of what they're seeing when they're watching the best players in the world. Yeah, I mean, and and that's why I say it's in a vacuum because you know you're saying it's blowing up. I mean, I really have no idea. I just get in. I put the headset on and I am playing right along with those guys every shot for shot. And it's almost more difficult than playing a round because if I were to play a final round in a lead card, sure, there's all the stress of winning the tournament, playing against the best players in the world. But I'm only throwing my shot. I don't have to care about what they're doing. But when I do the commentary, I got to think about all four players and, um, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I am moving around. I can't stop moving. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing ideas. I'm, I'm playing every, the numbers game and, and I really have a passion for it. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's always the naysayers. Of course, I never hear about any of that. It's always Jamie or somebody telling me, oh, these people, oh, we need to say this better or say that better. But at the end of the day, I'm just passionate about this golf and, you know, I want to do the commentary as long as I'm needed. And when we get the real big boys and, and the real pros uh, who know how to talk right, the, we'll get them in there sooner <laughs> or later. But uh, until then, I'm going to stick with it, and, and I hope you do too. I'm angling. I'm trying to get my uh, ducks in a row to get to work with you one of these days. So we'll see. We'll, we're, we're gonna. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to be gonna on the phone. Happen. I'm going to be pulling strings, <laughs> trying to get in there so we can work an event because I think that would be really fun. Hey, Nate, anytime you want to work an event, you just let me know. I'll, I'll be there with you, dude. I mean, Let's I do it. actually – and I got to say this. We, we, should, we should talk about this just briefly. The difference between post-production and live – is it's a big transition. I've done some post-production, obviously nowhere near as much as you and Big Germ and, you know, Yuli and, and, and the crew that's doing that. But, you know, live is, is so different because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, for the most part, post-production, yeah. you, you kind of know to, you know, you don't know it exactly, especially if you're not at the tournament. But, um, yeah, live's fun, man, you know, but uh, I... What do you, I mean, what do you think right now between post-production and live? Do you like them kind of being side by side the way they are? I'm just curious about that. I think yes. I mean, I, I like I like the options that our fans have right now. 
And I like to see live growing and I think it's getting a lot better. And maybe we're finally getting the numbers that it makes sense to spend the money that live costs yeah. because maybe the viewership is getting there, you know, and I think for a while that that balance wasn't there and we're trying to make live happen because we want to grow and we want to be a big time sport, but maybe, you know, that's how it works. You come in a little early, you got big dreamers trying to do it, disc golf planet and all that stuff from back in the day. Right. But maybe then you only have 2000 viewers or less than that. And it's like this production costs 60 grand. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough balance. But I like the options that our fans have now. And yeah. I totally agree that uh, that they're a different animal. You know, I've done I've done a little bit of live stuff. I did a little USDGC. And then like, you know, even though it's a post produced video in the end, like a champs versus chumps is kind of a live thing in a way, too, because I'm just like walking and, and talking as it happens, right. you know, on site. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say to your point about like knowing what's going to happen. But for me and germ, I would say the, the post-production is the most, the less I know what's going to happen, the better, the more fun I have. That's yeah. for sure. And the better I know the course, you know, I want to know the course so I can speak honestly and, and informatively about like, what is the pitfall and what's the challenge here or whatever. But like the more, I don't know that like this guy hit chains on hole 15, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm, I might know that or I might not, but when, when it's a true surprise, that's the most fun. Cause then it's an organic reaction and you're excited and everyone's excited. You know, the fans are excited as they're watching it, but, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Nice. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I think it's, I, I do think it's great. And of course I'm, I, again, I, like I said, all this is in a vacuum for me. I, I have no idea where it's going to go, but I'll tell you this. There's been so many times like, for example, like I've never played Waco in a professional tournament. You know, I've been to that area. I haven't even been to that course. Um, Jonesboro. I have never been to Jonesboro. I've never played that course in a tournament. But watching you and Big Germ commentate on those places has helped me prepare for what I'm doing on my side of things. So, you know, I think it's great to have those resources, even for a guy like me that is going to go and do live commentary. So it's it's pretty cool um, to to kind of have the bo both of them. You know, for me as a commentator, I just love living on the on the heartstrings of the players and and kind of seeing where it's going to go. Yeah, man. Let us know. Maybe we can cut you together just like a, a whole preview package. If you yeah. ever have a course you don't know, and we'll just cut it right out of the Jomez video, and we can send over just like one through eighteen. You have a little. That'd be crash awesome. course to the crash course to what the what the holes are actually like. It's often hard to tell, uh, you know, the real shape of something just through video. I find like I, I, I don't I don't enjoy commentary quite as much when I don't actually know the course because I just always in the back of my mind is like, am I saying something dumb right now yeah. about like if that's OB is actually a problem or if that hill is steep as it looks, you know. And once you've been there and played it, then obviously you're a, you're kind of an authority figure there, and you can you can you know believe what you're saying as you're saying it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. I mean, you know, calling a tournament like the Memorial, of course, it's pretty wide open. But, you know, it's like I, I've been on every part of every fairway on those courses, um, good, bad, yeah. good or bad. But, you know, a place like Waco, especially when you're in the woods, I mean, to, to call that is is so tough. And then, you know, certain courses, the, the video gets a little choppy here and there. But, yeah, man, you sure. know, honestly, you know, at the end of the day, um, I really love it. I hope the fans are enjoying it. And, and, and more importantly, um, I hope the players are enjoying it. I, I will say this. I never went back and watched videos, certainly the ones I was a part of, um, because it was kind of like I always wanted to be looking forward. But um, I do my best job 
to I pretend like I'm speaking to the player um, when I'm when I'm doing this commentary, and I hope they're going back and looking at it and going, oh, maybe yeah, maybe I could have done it that way, you know, or or whatever. Sure. And and uh, and so yeah, it's been it's been fun. Sweet, Nate. As a well, fan, I've I've got to ask. Um, I heard you say, you know, disc golf was really starting to wear on you. And to the fans that aren't out there doing it professionally and touring, it might sound like something crazy to hear, right? Because we get out to try to play as much as we can. Um, we know you're not getting flack at home from your wife. She's <laughs> She's got disc golf going through her veins. So what exactly do you mean when you say it was starting to wear on you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I want to be very clear that my passion every day when I woke up was still to go out and play around a disc golf. It wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't want to even go to the course. And, and had it ever got to that point, I certainly would have, would have made a change right away. I think what started to wear on me was my own personal expectations. You know, every time you step up to the first tee on any tournament, you just want to win and you just want to do as best as you can. And as the younger players started to get better, that stress level became more, you know, it ratcheted up more and more and more. And, you know, being a competitive athlete, everything is scar tissue, whether it's good or bad, right? Whether you won the Super Bowl, you threw the final touchdown or you lo- or you lost because, you know, you, you drop that last catcher or, or whatever. Um, it's all scar tissue. And the, and the scar tissue for me started to really wear um, in all the wrong places. Uh, I, I couldn't get over the fact that, that I just wanted to win. I mean, for all the fans out there that don't know, I have over double the number of second places as I do first places. So think about that. I mean, I have somewhere in the realm of about 40 wins roughly Obviously, everybody knows the four big ones that I have, but I have taken second place to every great player that has almost ever lived in the sport of disc golf from about 1990 to 2020 at this point. And, um, you know, that, that starts to wear on you after a while, you know, you know, sometimes you're, you get afraid. You get afraid to walk to the first tee because is this going to be another great weekend where I just fall that that millimeter short and take that second place and and got to go shake the hand of 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 the champion and again at the end of the day I loved doing all that I would not trade anything in my life for any one of those second places or any one of the firsts or lasts or fifteenths or twentieths. I absolutely loved being an athlete and I got to live out a dream, but, um, it wears on you after a while. And I think what I want to say to all the young people is use this, understand that being a professional athlete is about time and learn from Nate Sexton. Nate still has a love and a passion for the sport that is next to nobody of our generation. And it's because of the way he looks at it. He's always trying to get better and trying to better himself as an as an athlete, as a competitor, and simply as a disc golfer, and uh, that's something that that I lost for a little while, and it took about a year for me. Once I had left, I played my very last tournament was the 2018 Missoula tournament and uh, the Zoo Town Open, 
And it took me about a year after that to really process all of that, process what my career had been, what disc golf meant to me. And, uh, and now that passion for disc golf is, is right back where it was uh, 25 years ago. The thing that the thing that strikes me too, I think, is just as you're saying all that is just that I think it's a different expectations are a huge thing, and I don't know that like I, I've been fortunate, I've had a great career, I've, I've been a great player. I don't know that one time in my career on the national stage, I don't think I've ever been the favorite. <laughs> you know, so it's like I sort of start to think, yeah, you know, everything I win is gravy, and you know, but I feel like you come in as Nate Doss, three-time world champion, you know, right off the heels of that stuff, I feel like that's a little different mental battle to fight when it's like, you know, second place is, is a disappointment. And I'm disappointed in the moment as, as, as I'm taking second place, but like the next day I'm like, second was awesome, you know, on the national stage. And it's not like, you know, I'm not far out. If I'm outside the top 10, I'm not far outside the top 10. I've, I've been a great player for a long time, but I've never been a number one. You know, and I think there's, I think there's a difference there. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, and, and you know what, Nate, every, you know, this as much as I do now, of course we all we're we're uh, in our elderly age now, but (laughs) of 35, um, you know, every, every athlete's a little different. You know, I, I, I think for me, um, being the, the expected winner that, that never really bothered me because, there was nobody out there that was going to judge Nate Doss more than Nate Doss. Um, I'm my own worst enemy. Sure. And I think a lot of athletes are. And I think the ones that can can accept that, um, that that's a possibility and uh, and just kind of move forward um, are the ones that are going to be the most successful in the long run. And it, it I, I think I did an okay job of that. But yeah, you know, sometimes it just felt like uh, it really did feel like a job. And I think to to finally answer Jared Jared's question, the difference between doing this for a hobby and doing it for a job is that everybody has bad days at work, and uh, and ours just happens to be nowadays, and not even so much for me anymore, but for for our for our top players in front of a camera. And when your bad days in front of a camera, it, it it can it can it can wear on you. So, you know, I am I am thoroughly impressed with with what we have in professional disc golf now. I think it's, uh, you know, we're 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 all blessed to see these players. They all handle themselves so well. It's it's just been a real honor and and a real pleasure to see it all develop. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing and. Uh... You know, I, I heard you throw that in there and I just I had to ask um, and uh, and it was an amazing answer. Got really, really little heavy there for a second. So <laughs> I think this could probably be an ideal time and it's going to be an interesting version this week. Um, whenever we have a guest from the tour on, I like to play a little game with them and it's called You or Nate. Um, but I guess in this case, you guys are both Nate. Um, so I guess maybe it's going to be something like, uh, who is more likely, which Nate is more likely to, um, so you want, you want to have a little fun and, uh, and play a quick game here with us, Nate? Absolutely. Let's do it. A couple fun topics for us to debate. It's time to play. It's you or Nate. Okay. Which Nate is more likely to... Go in the drink after a disc that found some water. So do I go first or does Nate go first? No, this you, is just you for always, you. 
Oh, this you is always just for go me. first. Yeah, this oh, is I'll, okay. I'll, so, but so, I'll argue yeah. if I don't agree. I got it. I got it. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say this, Nate. Well, I, I'm gonna say Doss. I'm gonna say Doss. Right. Sexton, think... Sexton wouldn't throw it in the water. <laughs> Do you remember that time uh, at Ledgestone? When me and Paul jumped straight out of the truck and we were like, oh, there's Doss on the whole one. Like, wait up, wait up. And I just threw three straight, my best three destroyers straight in the water, oh, like just yes. got in town. I do and remember And I remember that. you on the other side like, no, not again. I'm like, like stop. I, got, <laughs> I got out of the truck and I wanted to warm up, but I was like, oh, no, no. I want to catch up to him. It's all good. I can do it. And then I just went water and then I got mad. Like, come on, man, water. And then water again with my three destroyers, and then was like, "Okay, uh, this is going to be interesting." Now I need to go my back to the box over. And, and find some <laughs> yeah. new ones. But yeah, yeah. I, you might be right. I think I think neither one of us is that likely to, in yeah. the scheme of things. I feel like both of us are pretty comfortable switching discs around in the bag. But but yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being more likely. That's fine. I've sw- I've I've gone swimming for a few. I'll admit it. <laughs> nice. And there's nothing wrong with it. All right, Nate. Which Nate would survive longer in the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Sexton because Nate's a pretty smart dude, and uh, I think he would come up with a lot of interesting ways to. Uh, is this like a zombie apocalypse, like uh, The Walking Dead? Is that? Yeah, uh, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I couldn't grow a thing if I had plant that had already vegetables on it. So I'm going to say Nate Sexton. (laughs) You could get all those zombies drunk, though. (laughs) That's true. I would certainly know how to ferment a beer. That's that's for sure. All right. So that's another one. Okay. So if if we threw you guys out on the course on a mic'd up round, who's getting bleeped more in post-production? Oh, this is an easy one. I know Nate will agree. It'll be me, Nate Dawes. Um, <laughs> I've had to hold back just throughout this whole interview because I speak in cursing uh, most of the time. Yeah. I don't think Agreed. I've heard Nate curse that much. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. No, no. He, I've, I've never heard it. So um, are, are you guys both familiar with the YouTube show Hot Ones where they eat the hot chicken wings? No. Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's really good. But yeah, they go ten, through the interview. Ten hot wings with a celebrity. Yeah, and they, he asks a question with every wing, and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter until it's insane. And it's actually really cool because it kind of like humanizes these celebrities because they're going through hell, like eating these wings. And by the, like right. the eighth and the ninth question, they're like all their defenses and they're like, I'm a celebrity and I have to say this is gone. And they're just like answering super honest. And it's really funny. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. if we had if we had you two on there. Who's making it farther? Who's going to make it to that 10th insane wing? God. Well, Nate, I don't really know your your hot tolerance. So I can't really guess. I think I would make it to about the 6th wing. I've tasted some hot. I've like eaten some hot food, but I've learned my lesson that that hot food is is just not worth it, but I think I'd make it to the 6th wing. Maybe the 5th. I think 6th wing. See, I I got an advantage here because just for Christmas, and this was kind of like a weird gift because it was technically for my wife, but it was kind of because I was curious. I got her sauce number one and sauce number five, so oh. I can say I can say for sure you can make it past five because I find five like not it's not that bad. But I think okay. ten, judging from the way the celebrities act, I I think I'd be hating my life around number eight. Um, 
but yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a super spice loving guy. I think we, I think we should try it. I think we should get the wings uh, lined up and I think we should go head to head and we should figure this one out for real. When we do commentary together, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that yeah. that weekend. <laughs> yeah. During the, during the round. Live. During the show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly will make it interesting. Okay. Now, Nate, you're a guest here on running it with Nate Sexton, but get you guys out on the course. Who's actually going to run it more these days, Nate? I- I'm laying, I'm laying everything up. Most of the rounds I'm playing, <laughs> I am laying stuff up, man. I can't make putts uh, if I was, you know, if I had, if I had the basket right next to me. But uh, I don't know. Probably at our peak, I would say I'm running it more. But uh, Nate's probably making more of them. I think that's fair to say. I think, I think. Uh, you know, I I don't. It's it's a hard thing to like say anything about anybody's game in the ten forties. Like clearly, Nate Doss is like as good a putter as you've ever seen. If you're listening to this show, but I would say he didn't win those worlds. I feel like when I think about Nate Doss, he's a driver. He's a pinpoint driver more than anything. Yeah, I I, I would have to one hundred percent agree. For for a long time, people would would say, and you would hear that. Like I would never say it about myself. But you would hear people say, oh, Nate, you're the best putter in the world. And I'd say, no, I'm not. I'm the best upshotter or I'm the best driver. I mean, I, I mean, anybody of, of our skill level or above should be making 15 to 20 footers almost every single time. And, yeah. and that's for the most part what I did. And so I, I do think overall that Nate Sexton is, is a much better putter, especially from distance. I mean, in the last five, six years of my career – I would go multiple tournaments without making a 45 footer. And I know Nate, you were making those, uh, more often than that. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I, I still, I honestly, I think I'm similar to you in that my calling card is more my accuracy with the driver. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I could probably, I can sleep at night thinking I'm a little more effective from, from 45, 50. Me too. <laughs> Now, you guys talked a little bit about safe shots earlier and calling it up for a layup. I got to ask you guys as a fan, um, something that I've always thought about and, and talked about in my group of friends. When you're out there playing on the tour, there's some amazing shots that get thrown that people take just some crazy lines and some crazy routes. And the first thing I think to myself is without all of those eyeballs out there, the spotters and the cameras and everybody there on tour, like there's a real good chance that this gets lost and never gets found. Does that ever come into play where you're like, Hey, I could just launch this. And if it drops into those woods, one of these 200 people out here are going to be able to see it and I'll find my disc. No problem. Well, sure. I'm, I don't, I don't know that people are doing that like as a strategy, but I would say there's way less lost discs on the lead card than there is on the fifth card. You know, like the lead, it helps to have a ton of eyes down there by the basket. Yeah, I, I million, I a million percent have to agree with what Nate said. I would also say from from being, you know, in that world, I never thought about it. If there was ever a chance of me losing a disc, I, I probably wouldn't do that shot because, well, what's what is a what's a penalty stroke versus a disc that you know and love that's gone for the rest of the tournament or the rest of the season. It really doesn't make any sense, but I think Nate, you're absolutely right. On that lead card, there's certainly fewer less lost discs because a the players are playing the best of the tournament and they're not off the fairways that often, but yeah. also a lot a lot of the fans out there. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, outside of my question, Nate, um, when you agreed to be on the show, uh, our host, Nate Sexton, posted on social media that we were going to have you on and wow, did I get bombarded with questions and emails. And um, if you don't mind, we'd like to, to go ahead and take some of these fan questions and, uh, and get some of your responses. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people still want to know what's going on here in the old DOS household. So, yeah, yeah, fire, fire, fire away. I'm telling you, the response was huge. Like, uh, so many people commented that you were their favorite disc golfer and they started watching because of you. I mean, it was, it was really big. Wow. I'm glad there's no video on this because I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Zach from Instagram wants to know what was more exciting for you, seeing your name on a beer or your name on a disc? Ooh, well, I'm going to definitely have to say disc in this in this one because most of the time my name was on a beer. It was because I was the one who said put my name on there. Um, and, and with a disc, it was it was because of uh, a lot of other people making decisions to say that that, that Nate Doss's name should be on a disc. Uh, I, I'll never forget. But minus minus the Terry Miller disc golf guy giving me a disc at the end of worlds when i got the very first um mock-up of the nate dosk avenger logo because the avenger in 2005 was the disc that essentially won me the worlds i i threw that disc almost on off of every tee and you know it was our long range driver at the time they sent me the mock-up i i almost cried and then when I got that first box of 25 Nate Doss Avengers, um, it was pretty, it was pretty freaking cool. But I will also say that the first time we had, um, uh, Bevel Craft Brewing or my name or Val's name on, on one of these canned collaboration beers with Fiddlehead, uh, that was a pretty prideful moment too. I can imagine both would be, uh, would be pretty sweet. All right. Now I, I gave you a nice, easy, soft one there. And, you know, we're all friends here, but would I really be doing our listeners any service if I didn't ask? Because the question came in 140 times. Are we going to see Nate Doss play professional disc golf again? <laughs> well, before the show. We're running it, Nate. We're running it, man. <laughs> I I'm know, sorry. Man. No, I, I, I love it. And, and I, I knew that one was coming. I, I even mentioned it, you know, when we were talking a little bit before the show and you know, what I could say to, to certainly to all the fans at, at home is that the passion for playing is, is not lost on me, um, but also the passion for doing commentary. When it comes to disc golf, the passion for doing live commentary for me is is up there, um, you know, and, and I, I love it. You know, I, the one the one joke I always make is uh, I'm always on the lead card. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, you're, you're always right there with, with the best players in the world. Um, I'm going to answer that question as a 70% chance. No. And a 30% chance. Yes. We'll see where Bevel takes me, uh, takes my whole family, you know, Val and, and really the whole Bevel, the whole Bevel crew. I mean, if you, if you work at Bevel, you're a part of the family now and you now we'll see where that takes us. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a 30% chance that, that I'm, that I'm playing now. I think the bigger question is: is do I think I'd be anywhere near one of the cards that I'd be commentating? Um, I, I think that's about a ninety-five percent chance. No, uh, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I could probably play the tournament. And Not with that commentate. attitude, Nate. <laughs> I could probably play the tournament and still commentate. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd be done so early. It, look, <laughs> the players out, the players out there these days are so good. Um, they're so impressive. Uh, and each tournament that goes by, it's making me want to do it less and less, and uh, and just call call out what what uh, what they should be doing. But uh, hopefully one day. I'm, I'm playing, you know, certainly a tournament like, uh, you know, the USDGC, um, being a previous champion there, you know, or a, uh, a world championship, uh, an event like that, or, or playing some of my, my favorite events like the Beaver State Fling or the Masters Cup. Uh, I think certainly I'd love to play those events again. And we'd love to see you play those events again. Now, Jake from Instagram says, who is the greatest player of all time? And why is it David Feldberg? <laughs> <laughs> well, nice little jab there at, at, at Dave Felberg. Uh, you know, here here's how I'm here's how I'm going to talk about this. I think we have to talk about it a little bit. Um, I'm going to use a sport like basketball, which is a sport I played in high school. I went back and coached seven seasons uh, at that my high school that I that I played at, and uh, it's a, it's a game that I love. Um, you know, a guy like Bill Russell. Now we could talk LeBron James is great, Michael Jordan. These guys are competitors unlike any other. But imagine Bill Russell. I mean, Bill Russell won 11 NBA championships, half of which he was the head coach of the team. Um imagine what that guy is like and and what it must have taken to do something like that. It was really uh unprecedented obviously and and in my opinion Bill Russell is the greatest player of all time, but I think LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and players of that of that alike are are um, all right there uh, on Mount Rushmore with Bill. And I think that's how we have to talk about disc golf a little bit. Ken Climo is clearly, in my opinion, and and you know what? I want to be fair to all the listeners out there, especially the female listeners. I'm. Really, in my opinion, I think Elaine King is uh, is by far one of the greatest champions disc golf has ever seen. And if anybody knows Elaine, what she's been able to do uh, over all these years is really incredible. Um, but I'm not going to really talk about women's players because I could do this same talk with the FBO side as well. And I just have to throw it out that Paige Pierce is an incredible athlete and what she's doing is amazing. Um, but King Climo is isn't he is unlike any other person you're going to have ever met. And when you talk about winning 12 world titles, how can you even quantify what that means? 12 years of his life and it started in 1990 and his and he won his last one in in 2006 which I um gracefully choked up to him there in the semifinals although he did play fantastic in the rain there in Augusta. <laughs> that was uh I was going back to back, Kenny, but uh, it, the twelfth one was was awesome. It's really impossible to quantify what that means, and I think clearly, um, I think clearly, Ken Climo is the greatest uh, frisbee thrower from a perspective of disc golf of all time, and 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 I would put him in that Bill Russell range. Now he might want to say, "Hey, I'm, you know, Tiger well, Woods or or Michael Jordan," you know, but uh, you know. It, it's impossible to quantify what he's done. He dominated unlike any person will be able to do. But I think when we talk about – and, Jared, go ahead. I want to hear what you got to say. 
Well, I just think it's it's great that you brought up the Bill Russell analogy and to play devil's advocate, a lot of people say that if Bill Russell played in a time when there was better competition for him at the center position a few years later, maybe he doesn't have that same run and win all of those championships and that a lot of it was advantage in size and the way the game was played. Do you think that a prime, a peak Ken Climo competes the same way and dominates as much in today's game as he did back then. Well, fantastic bring up. And I think that was a great devil's advocate because it's a little different. It's tough. We we just had an article come out in Alti World that was sort of comparing all these players and it was all based on numbers. And And is that a fair argument for Bill Russell? You know, I don't really know if it is or not. Is it also a fair comparison, uh, Ken Climo t- to Paul Macbeth of the of the current age because of the discs that they threw, of the holes that they played? I mean, Ken Climo won multiple world championships. He played courses that didn't even have par fours on them. You know, we're now playing courses that are mostly par fours and par fives. So it, it's it's hard to go down that road. And and I just want to say that I think um, Ken Climo is is by far the best player of all time. But I will say this, and and I've known Paul from 2005 till now, Paul Macbeth that is, and he is he is an incredible disc golfer. He is a c- incredible competitor, and the only person that even compares from a competitive attitude is Ken Climo, and I think those two guys are on another level. And uh, Paul Macbeth dominated by winning all the majors in one year in an era where he had so many players that could have taken any one of those from him. And it was, uh, I think, what year was that? I can't remember it right now, but it was that year that he that he won all of them. 15. Anyways, yeah, 15. It was 15. And I competed yeah, in all five. Yeah, 2015, all five, five majors. I competed in all five of those. and um, And I also was you know, competed against Ken Climo in, in many world championships. And and Paul and Ken um, are on a uh, a pedestal of their own. So I'm not going to answer that one truly. I think they're both great, and I think they both uh, re- uh, belong on the Mount Rushmore, along with Elaine King, and then that fourth person can be uh, whoever you think you want. Okay, fair enough. Well, we, I think uh, – that was the perfect to uh, to not talk too much about women's players because we want to get Val. We we need your wife on the show, and I think that yeah. perfect segment for her. Take uh, when we have her on, we'll we'll discuss the the Mount Rushmore of uh, women's disc golf. Sweet, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and she would love to be on. So just ask. Sweet. Well, well there we go. Uh, Luke from Instagram asked, Nate, when you were on tour, what was your favorite spot with the best food and the best beer? Okay. Best food by far, in my opinion, Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas. There you Um, go. The city kind of lies on the border there. There's a bunch of great restaurants in Kansas and a bunch of great restaurants in Missouri. Um, But never enjoyed food more than there in Kansas City. What a place. And also, disc golfing-wise, from a community standpoint and a course standpoint, Kansas City, if you are, if you and your crew want to take a trip, go to Kansas City in the summer. It will be hot and humid, but you get to play some great courses. From a beer perspective, got to be the Northeast, um, especially in, in recent years. Um, you know, the Northeast with, with hazies. Now, 
we could get into a whole hazy IPA conversation, which we're not going to do. But uh, there was a few breweries up in that area that just, man, were fantastic. And uh, and they, they made having a beer after the round a, a little bit uh, better. So Northeast and Kansas City, Missouri. Nate Sexton, what about you? Is there ever, when you look at the schedule, are you ever like, oh, sweet, we're going because I like to go to this place? Yeah, there's a lot of places like that. Um, you know, one of them is Santa Cruz, where uh, where Nate is from. Uh, I remember always loving my stops there because we would have like, you know, the, the time when I was with Paul or when I had my own RV, it would be like a time I had this little folding bike in the RV and a lot of places you'd be at some campground and it's like next to the freeway and the course is 20 miles away. But like once we got into Santa Cruz and like a place like that, where being from Oregon and th- there would be like some good natural food stores and some cool restaurants and I'd get to like bust out my little bike and ride around and that, you know, that down by the ocean and all this stuff. That was always a, a cool place for me to be. And then again, I got to kind of echo the Northeast. I've really enjoyed like up uh, Maple Hill and Green Mountain. Just the scenery is great. Uh, it's just very different feeling than the Northwest where I'm from, uh, with all the history and like every, every other house built in like 18 something, 17 something, you know, so that's, that's just a cool, uh, a cool place to be. So those, those are two of my favorites. All right, Nate, let's, uh, let's get one more question out and then we'll let you go. We've taken up so much of your time, but you've, you've had so, uh, so much cool stuff to talk about. This is a question that comes up a lot. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys both. Uh, what do you guys like to wear when playing? Is there any specific type of apparel or clothing that you are more comfortable in when playing rounds? You know, that that's a that's an interesting. I think everybody's a little bit different here. I mean, I grew up, you know, it was kind of the collared shirt era, you know, so it was always have a collared shirt. Um, and I think that was probably a little bit left over from from ball golf. Um, but I, it always stuck with me having a nice collared shirt. Uh, I think a collar shirt just, I look better in one anyways, kind of covers up my, uh, my double, triple chin down there. But, uh, but no, a <laughs> nice, a nice lightweight, uh, collared shirt. And you know, the thing about it is you gotta have comfortable shorts. You gotta have something you can stretch out in, get that big stretch. If you got to get your leg up under a bush or a tree or whatever, and then the key really for me is, now I grew up in Santa Cruz. Humidity is something we don't even know anything about, okay? But as soon as you travel over those Rocky Mountains, humidity is something that you start to learn about real quickly. And the underwear is key. Have some nice, <laughs> really kind of thin, I like to go with the spandex style ones that breathe nicely. Get a little gold bond in there. And it'll make your life a lot easier. So, you know, kind of light and airy is, I think, the key for me. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> He's Next not wrong. About you. I, I, yeah, man. I would say, um, you know, the the way that it's gone and, you know, the style of a professional disc golfer now is, I think, you know, getting kind of closer towards ball golf uh, all the time. Um, even though I, I, I guess, are they allowed to wear shorts now in ball golf? I think they are in in practice uh, so, rounds, practice rounds. Only. Okay. So we're going to kind of meet in the middle, I think eventually, you know, cause we're getting, <laughs> we're, we're going towards them and maybe they're chilling out a little bit and going to let shorts in, but I would say definitely got to stick with the stretch, stretchy materials. And like when I first, um, was playing, I mean, and Nate too, it was like basketball shorts was the thing yeah. cause you knew they were stretchy. And I like, I always remember seeing golf shorts and thinking, oh, those are like 
you know, khakis or something. They're not going to be stretchy, but they actually are really stretchy and great. So that is important, I think, is, uh, you know, a nice pair of shorts you can move in, a nice pair of shoes that's comfortable because you're going to be walking and you got to have the good grip and waterproofness or whatever you need. I'm, I'm always going to bring like two or three pairs of shoes with me wherever I go. So I have a couple options depending on conditions. And if you like break a lace or something, because that is really annoying. If you lose the tightness in your shoe in the middle of the round, you got to have something in the car you can run and get. Yeah, that's especially happened to me those more than Adidas. once. Those Adidas um, ones. And then I, I got a shout out. A, yeah, they're really comfortable and nice, but those those little strings can break and you can't really save it if it's the drawstring style. Uh, and then the last thing I want to shout out is Grip 6 Belt, because I'm all about the Grip 6 Belt. Like the, you know, since I've tried those, I really love them. They're super comfortable, super light. And, uh, you know, they keep those shorts up, which, you know, that's what I'm asking for. Well, let me, let me, first of all, I need to get myself a grip six belt because that's something, you know, I've seen the commercial a million times and, uh, and of course they sponsored the disc golf pro tour championship. Yeah. But, you need uh, one. I know I do need one. I got to get Val one too. She needs a belt. You, we, you just, just send me your address, man. I'll, I'll, I'll make a few calls. I'm pretty sure I got enough. I got enough cloud i can get you guys some couple belts i feel like i can do this oh thank you nate that'd be awesome and i want to i want to tell a story okay adidas has the pull string you know where it's kind of all one string and if it breaks you're you're kind of screwed well years ago solomon which was a an adidas company um they had come into disc golf and we were all wearing solomon so we'd have those pull strings and i will never forget mine broke on the t hole three yeah hole three at de la it broke on a tee and avery was in the group ahead of me and i walked down i made the birdie putt and then there was a backup on on four's tee there's always a backup there on number four yeah and by the way hole four the famous one that greg barsby roller ace which was impossible when he won the master's cup but that's it's still story. impossible it's just the, still the impossible. fact that he the fact that he did it doesn't mean it's not impossible it's and i was impossible. in the group of all things and but go anyways, on i took second place there that's another story for another time. But I come up and I go, Avery, look, my shoelace broke, dude. I'm screwed. How am I going to play like Dela? And he goes, take your shoe off. Give it to me. Avery Jenkins, he took the lace. He tied a tiny little knot in it, pulled it real tight, went and grabbed a lighter from somebody else, one of the spectators hanging around. He, he burned the end so that the, the knot wouldn't come undone. And so Avery Jenkins saved me there at, at hole number four at Dela. So it's possible to save it, but there, unlikely. That's a tour veteran right there. You know it. So basically what you're saying is, is there's really no apparel brand that you're stuck to right now. If you're an apparel brand out there, we can be reached at runningitpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, it sounds like we could probably do this for three or four hours, and I'm guessing this won't be your only appearance because it sounds like you've got a lot more fun stories to share, uh, Nate, but we don't want to take any more of your time. Um, if there's any listeners out there that want to catch up with you, where can they find you in Bevel Brewing? Yeah, so Bevel Brewing is is in Bend, Oregon, 911 Southeast Armor, but, you know, we all have Google these days, so just look it up, throw it into Google Maps, and it'll take you right there, but... Yeah, yeah, we're we're at Bevel almost every single day. I certainly am there, mostly in the mornings, and uh, and don't come bother me because I'm working. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, once <laughs> once um, once. But seriously, uh, the, don't come bother him. <laughs> but seriously, uh, once the pandemic's over, you can certainly find me. Uh, usually on Thursday afternoons, sitting at the bar, hanging out, 
we uh we have a mug club that we call the Bevel Beer League, and uh, and Thursdays is their day. They all get a free pint on Thursdays, so I like to hang out on Thursdays and and chat with all the beer league members. So yeah, come visit us. It's a it's a lot of fun. Well, awesome, man. And uh, we really appreciate you taking this time out. Um, we've just had a, an incredible guest lineup on this show, um, people that have been coming out and doing this for us. And we had as much excitement about you as we did uh, any of our guests. So the fans still love you. And uh, I'm sure they, they, they missed having you out on the course, but you know, at least we get to get you on the commentary. So uh, it, it was really cool for you to come on and do this. Well, Jarrett and Nate, Man, it's been a real pleasure. I could, you know, <laughs> Nate, me and you were texting and I said, oh, it might go an hour, maybe a little longer if there's any stories. Well, hey, I got stories for days. I don't mind talking. <laughs> and in about in about 25 or 30 more episodes, when you start to run dry on uh, on some uh, some guests, call me up. We'll do it again. We'll fill another hour and a half and uh, and we'll have some fun. So it's been a good time, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Big thanks to all the fans. And uh Really just hope everybody's out there being safe and, and enjoying uh, enjoying disc golf. And it's a game that uh, that we wouldn't be here without. And uh, thank you guys for, for doing this. Yeah, man. Great talking to you. And I, I hope I get to see you guys soon. Yeah. Yeah, Sexy. And uh, yeah, come visit us, man. Obviously, I know you guys are yeah, – I just saw the picture of you guys playing in the snow. What a cute family. Can't wait to see you guys in person. So. <laughs> Thanks. Keep it up, man, and uh, and maybe we'll come visit you in Washington one of these days too. They charge sales tax there. Just a heads up. Dang it! All right, well I'll bring a couple extra quarters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate, thank you so much. All right, fellas, thank you. Appreciate it. Wow, that really was an amazing conversation with uh, Nate Doss, getting to hear about not just his days playing, but kind of what he's got going on right now. Um, that it was really great having him on. He's he's the man. I mean, it's not not a not a lot of other ways to say it. He is one of the greats. Love talking to him. Well, Nate, you've done an amazing job lining up guests uh, for all of the fans and all of the listeners, and they've been commenting about how much they love the the guests. But another comment that we've been getting a lot of is, "What happened to the disc breakdown?" So, back by popular demand, Nate Sexton's going to take another disc out of his bag and break it down for you, the listeners. Yeah, and we got a, a near and dear one to my heart today. It's the Dart, and it's a putter that Innova makes. Uh, I carry three in my bag right now. I have two in R Pro plastic and one in XT plastic. The XT is a little bit stiffer, perhaps slightly more overstable. So I use that a little bit more for driving or if I need a little left finish. But weirdly, this disc, the Dart, is simultaneously the best disc I've ever used for both running it, as we tend to do, and laying up because it's a straight glidey putter. So if I'm going for it from 60 feet, 100 feet, I'm definitely using it. But also with that R-Pro plastic, I feel like it's soft, it's grippy. I feel like I'm very secure in feeling like it's not going to roll away. It kind of like reverbs when it hits the ground and it will sit tight to the basket. So absolutely my go-to disc for any kind of like longer putts, shorter drives through tunnels. It's one of my favorite discs that I've ever used in my whole life. So definitely give it a try. R Pro would probably be my number one plastic that I like it in, a little bit softer feel, but even the DX start is great. Uh, so if you've never tried one, I think you're really going to like it. Super straight, can go really about as far as a mid-range, so don't sleep on it. It's a quick putter, uh, and I think you'll love it if you give it a chance. So 
we've really kind of put together some awesome breakdowns of you explaining the discs and why you get them. And this is pretty much exactly what your bag looks like, right? So far, I mean, we're talking Firebird, Thunderbird, Valk, and now Dart. These are all, you know, uh, um, Nate Sexton classics. Yeah, I mean the Valk has kind of gone in and out, but yeah, sure. I mean, I'm talking about what I know. I'm I'm not I'm not uh making any of this stuff up, you know. These are actually the the tools that I use uh, out there that have that have served me the best. So, yeah, the Dart, you know, I've raved about it for a long time and and I'm going to keep doing that because I just love throwing them. Well, Nate, we've talked about a lot of other ways that we can make this show um, more fun and more interactive with the listeners. And one of the things that we decided we were going to do was give them an opportunity to send in questions, but do it in audio form. Um, so what you guys can do is if you want to hear your question and your voice featured right on the show, asking Nate or one of our guests, um, record a clear audio recording and go ahead and email that to us at runningitpodcast at gmail.com. Now, guys, make sure it's a good audio recording. It's the only way it's going to make it on the show. Um, but if you can get a good clear off your voice memos or something along those lines and get it over to us, you could hear your voice right on the show with Nate and whoever the special guest is. That's going to be pretty fun, don't you think, Nate? Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I think the other thing we want you to do is when you send that email in the body of the email, type your question out because we want to be able to kind of handpick which questions we're going to use. And we're, we're a small staff over here at Running It with Nate Sexton. And we don't want to listen to every last message coming in with the audio if it's not if the question is not the type of question we're looking for for the show. So do us a favor, send it in audio, but also type that thing out so we have an idea uh, of what the question is going to be about. And I think it's going to be great. It'll be give Jared a break for sure. The guy, the guy's got to read all these questions. I'm starting to feel for him. And it's more than anything that, you know, so many of you guys are, are thinking along the same lines. I get not multiples. I get 20 or 30 of the same question for sure every week. So uh, if you want to have a better opportunity of having yours picked, make sure that question's typed out in the body and uh, and have an opportunity to have your question right here on the show with Nate or, or whoever our, our guest is. Um, I think that's going to be something that's going to be really cool. So again, guys, that's runningitpodcast at gmail.com. The same can be said if you want to hear Nate talk about your business or event, you can go ahead and reach us at runningitpodcast at gmail.com and be a friend of the show and be featured right here. Um, go ahead and shoot us an email and uh, and we'll work something out for you. Uh, Nate, I think we had another awesome episode. You lined up a great guest for us. Um, playoff football is is going underway. Uh, 2021 is happening. It's coming fast and, uh, and we're really kind of grabbing this thing here with running at Nate Sexton. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're picking up steam. I'm excited for the episodes coming up. We've got a lot of great ones planned. Yeah, you guys uh, stay tuned. You can follow us um, on Facebook at uh, Running It with Nate Sexton. Uh, Nate, of course, is on Instagram at Frisbee Nate. Uh, we are on Instagram at Running It with Nate Sexton as well. And don't forget to check out our friends at FisherDiscGolf.com. Use code RUNIT10 to save 10% off of your purchase. And of course, free shipping. And uh, pretty much like what's always going on, while everyone else is out there laying it up, Nate. Win or lose, man. We're running it.